Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Daryl Charles, who began doing stand-up in Philadelphia and has been a part of the Baltimore scene for the last six years. He knows I-95 quite well. His debut album, Black Gentrifier, debuted at number three on iTunes at the beginning of 2020, but he couldn't really tour on it for some reason. I'll have to look it up. But he's already got another hour just about done, and he's really keeping busy. Daryl co-hosts the podcast DTF, the Daryl and Timmery Fun Hour. Go grab his album and see Daryl Charles live if you can. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Sign up for the Patreon. It's only five bucks a month. Follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewcomedy.com to see all of my dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Wings off Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thanks so much for doing this, dude. I really appreciate it taking time. Yeah, no problem. So you're in Baltimore right now. And yeah. I lived in Baltimore around that area for like eight years. But I never did comedy there. What is the comedy scene like? Uh, pretty good in Baltimore. Like, you know, obviously could be bigger. Go support local comedy. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's um, Comedy Factory is in the city. Nagoobi's Joke House is like right outside the city. Um, the Lou Room is like a nice indie room. They do a lot of improv and um, and stand up there. That's another local place. Um, Baltimore Improv Group is another theater pretty sure they have mics there i I don't do improv but whatever (laughs) (laughs) it always frustrates me like looking back to like like i was a sports writer down there so i worked a second shift job and i would see every once in a while signs for an open mic or a comedy show and it was something i always wanted to do but just didn't do it so i moved to binghamton new york and started doing it and i'm like i was in baltimore i was right near dc like why didn't i do this yeah i think that's the thing like Coming to Baltimore from Philly changes my frame of reference, but I do think a lot of Baltimore comics end up doing stuff in D.C. because they're pretty close. I mean, I think driving wise, Baltimore is like equidistant from Philly and D.C. So it probably depends on traffic. I know where I was living, (laughs) I was in Glen Burnie and it would take me about 90 minutes to go to Philly, but 40 minutes maybe to D.C., but all depending on the time of day. I mean, traffic into and out of D.C. is a nightmare. But yeah, just straight up 95 to Philly is not that bad. No, it's actually I was really surprised because I think I went to three concerts in a row in Philly, like Mm. three in six days or something like that. And I'm like, this feels like a commute to work sometimes. Yeah, like it could be. And I often do that commute. I try to make sure that I'm not doing it like back and forth in the same day. because it's three hours in a car. But, you know, what led you to Baltimore? My wife got a job. Uh, it's pretty much as simple as that. <laughs> Have you acclimated yourself yet? Uh, somewhat. I mean, we've been living here for a while, so I guess I'm acclimated. Like I know what I do, you know, every day. But yeah, you know, it's it's a funny thing when you're an adult and you move to a new city. It's a lot different than being like there for school or there for something. Adults don't make friends, right? <laughs> like they don't. It's not like, hey, how are you doing? Let's hang out. Like that's not the way adults work. Like you need a reason. Right. So it's been very interesting moving to a city as a grown man when it's because my wife has a job. 
Right. All I know are comics now. <laughs> that's and, pretty much what I, and like one or two of my neighbors yeah <laughs> that's pretty much what i had like i was i moved back to new york at 31 i think maybe 30 but all of my friends had kids and i'm like well I, mm. I don't so the only reason i made friends in my hometown was by doing comedy and now that's all i know yeah that is kind of how it works i mean i recommend this to people starting out doing comedy it's like go figure out something you want to do outside of it so you just have a better perspective than a person who just goes to bars at night yeah and then i turned into that guy but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know I, um, comedy is one of those things where it can be that hobby that you do outside of work you know what i mean and so yeah you'll end up with people in that friend circle yeah. how long you've been doing stand-up oh boy uh i think like 13 years okay is kind of tough just because um the pandemic like you know there's this two spongy years yeah so i think when i add it all together yeah it's yeah. 13 and i've been doing it. yeah you didn't start in philly right i'm from brooklyn originally okay. and then I, I moved to philly for college and then once i got out of college and it was like working then i was like you know what else do i want to do and then i started going to open mics and took some improv classes and yeah fast forward to today so what yeah. got you started yeah i mean i i had a decent job i was doing good <laughs> i was doing well and i <laughs> was doing well at the job so i was like i could keep this and it was a fortune 100 company so it was like shit was great and i was just like i don't you know do i want to do this for 40 years and the answer was no and so then i was like what else do i want to do and so i you know decided to give comedy a whack and uh yeah, not enough people told me I was bad at it <laughs> to stop. <laughs> I look back and I'm like, I'm like, well, thank God, I guess that I was filled with <laughs> so much delusion that I thought I was doing well because I like it now. But my lord, I'm afraid to like go back and watch early sets I've recorded and listen oh, to man. tapes. It's I yeah, me. I have a couple. Every time I go on YouTube. If I look at like my videos, if I have to send somebody something, I always laugh because I have a bunch of like unlisted videos from the first year that I did comedy. Like if you have the link, you can see it, but it's not up yeah, and or searchable. And it's just like, yikes. Every time I say it, it's like, oh, this was a two minute clip. I wonder what I was talking about. And I don't want to know. I don't want to <laughs> know. I don't know what it look like. Yeah. Ooh, just a change in camera quality. <laughs> <laughs> is like why I don't want to look at it. Yeah. yeah, like I think I started and I I bought a camera. I actually bought the camera I have now when I was like two months into stand up, and I recorded with video every set I did, thinking, "Oh, I'll go back and watch every one of them and critique it." I never did that, so I'm like, like yeah. I bought it. So it's a camera that I use sporadically now, but I'm like, I I probably should have been using my my cell phone camera. Because, like, that was the level of comedy I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Uh, I mean, everybody has their process. I record, uh, I audio record everything on my phone. And it's rare. Like, it has to be, like, I'm working on something new. And the last set did well in a new way. That makes me be like, let me go listen to that again. Other than that, I'm like, I remember. I've had a number of instances in my life that have shown me that I don't remember everything I say on stage. <laughs> so. I should be using these clips more regularly. When did you feel like you you had it? Had what? Uh, like the talent to go up there and, and do well. Oh, I, like, when did it I feel? I still don't. Okay. 
<laughs> no, um, uh, I mean, the first time I went on stage, and I tell this to people, it's like, like, oh, I, I've been writing a lot of jokes. I want to go do stand up. How do I do it? And I'm like, just go up there and tell the joke you have. After you are done, you will know if you want to keep doing this or not. It's just, it's that simple. So yeah, like the first time I went on stage, I told a joke. Oh, the first time I went on stage was after somebody had bombed. And this was at the Laugh House in Philly. And I made fun of that person. Just a quick like impersonation to be like, oh, I'm not going to do this like that. And uh, to mess with their expectations on the set. And it it worked. Like it got the whole room to laugh after they had just been quiet for <laughs> five minutes. right? <laughs> and that response shocked me to the point. I was like, oh, my God, they, they liked it. Or they liked me. It was probably what I was thinking. And it like that shock of the laughter made me forget the jokes that I actually had planned. So then I spent another like probably 30 seconds, but in my head, you know, 10 minutes trying to figure out what it is I wanted to say actually. And then I did it. And that joke got a decent amount of, uh, not applause, but yeah, laughs, laughs. And, um, yeah, I guess I could say I was like hooked from there, but you know, just the kind of thing you keep going. It's a thing to do at night. Right. Yeah. What was it like starting out in Philly? It was nice. It, it wasn't like now the place is lousy with comedians, but uh, when I started, there weren't a lot. And so you could meet all of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, the scene was there. I, there were rooms that I was like not a part of. But like if you hit up the mics, yeah, because like in the city, there might have been one like long running mic at that point. Now it's like one damn near every day. So, yeah, it was like smaller. And like there were shows where I would meet like people who were doing improv, people who were doing sketches, people who were doing stand up, and like there might have been 40 people altogether. So now it is not like that at all. That's that's probably the main difference. I mean, how often do you uh do you see somebody like a, a stand up and be like, oh wow, I've never heard of you. I've never seen you. Well, I mean, is it a common occurrence now? A little bit just because I'm jaded. Like uh <laughs> the, the, like the thing is Two things have happened to me. I still like going to mics. I know a lot of comics who've been doing it for a while, like say they hate it and they don't want to go, but I really still enjoy taking an idea and just throwing it out there to see what the fuck happens. Yeah. But one thing I've stopped doing is really kind of listening to anyone else's jokes when I go to a mic. Like I'm not really there to analyze anyone else's comedy. I'm just there to do mine. So I laugh when it's time to. Right. Like you just know the rhythm oh, of yeah. the thing. And when the punch hits, you go, ha, 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 just to be a good audience member. But I am really not paying attention. But I will say, if you want to make friends, that's a nice thing to like give them a tag or a hey, I, I like that. And they have a specific reference. That's how you make friends. So I think I did that when I first moved to Baltimore. And then after that, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just in my phone. Uh, did you? Yeah. Well, the other thing I do is a bad habit is I laugh at the fact that the joke didn't hit. Yep, so like too. someone does a punchline, it doesn't work. And then I start laughing every time I do it. I'm like, Daryl, that's not helpful. <laughs> uh, whatever. It's so much fun though. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Especially. Yeah. I mean, it's so much like I would, <laughs> I, uh, most cities have like their funniest comedian contest, whatever, whatever. And I used to love, uh, especially when the Philly one got like popular and it started getting like a lot of people to sign up, not just show up for the shows. 
watching the first round was like one of my favorite things because i mean yeah the the <laughs> the delusions of some people like you know it just it's like yeah you're going to see a variety of talents and uh watching that just to laugh at it uh is, is a good time <laughs> to this day well isn't that why like america's got talent like the first couple weeks of that is the best thing to watch because you're seeing all the miscreants who are up there yeah like, with no business yeah it, it's you know an open mic is somebody saying there's a mic on a stage and i'm gonna give you a couple minutes to talk and there's no other qualifications which means that the entire world can walk in there and just say whatever's on their mind and you know that is a that is the worst and also the best <laughs> uh, yeah. i get into a habit where it'll be a show i'm producing and i know a comedian's joke usually works and then when it doesn't that is the funniest thing i'll see all night and i just love watching their reaction like how do you deal with this like how are you going to pick up the pieces and move on that's a fun that's fun yeah sure I, it's all well yeah like i mean you know as frustrating as it can be to watch a room get away from somebody yeah or, or to get away from like the show that's happening it's still very fun to watch especially if you know what's happening like you know not too long ago i was at a club doing a feature weekend and there were two uh ladies in the front who were obviously drunk and did not know how to use their inside voices <laughs> at all and the host a decent comedian but like he kept talking to them and i'm standing you know behind the curtain backstage and i'm just like this is the worst possible thing you could have done there's no reason to give these people any more attention they, yeah. they're not going to be satisfied right and you know I had to go out there and do what I did. They ended up getting asked to leave. But, you know, in the meantime, it was it was entertaining <laughs> at the very least. But like as I'm watching it behind the stage, I'm just like, no, no, just not like the ways to handle this. You're not doing it right. And that that happens at Mike's all the fucking time. So how do you learn? Like, what did you do to kind of eliminate the situation? Oh, um, it's pretty easy. First, you lose, lose the battle, right? You're trying to get everybody's attention. This person's doing the wrong thing. Let them win, like stop talking and be like, are you done? Do you want, do you want me to continue? Or you tell them, you know, Hey, shut up and then give them another chance. And then you again, bring it up to the crowd that like, Hey, I'm trying to do this. We are all trying to do this. Don't do what you're doing. And then the third time you just let them have it because you've let the whole crowd know that this person is the asshole. Mm -hmm. And then you get the whole crowd on your side. They want to see you tear this person apart. And that's pretty much the, the way to handle those things. You don't want to immediately jump down someone's throat because not everybody in the room might have an idea of what's happening. So when you break it up that way, you let the whole room in on this is the situation. And they all want to see this person be destroyed for interrupting the show. They left to an applause break. That's awesome. It's all psychology. Yeah. And I told them that. And, and that was the funny thing. I told them that. But I mean, they were they were wasted. So I don't think that they were really listening. But I told them, I was like, listen, now you're the villain in the room. I can say whatever I want to you and they're going to love it. So please stop talking. Right. Like, And then, you know, and then they didn't. And so, you know, you find funny ways to wish death on them. And everybody <laughs>, laughs. Were you ever a teacher at any point? Um, 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was a teacher in grad school and um, and I teach like improv. Yeah. But I wonder if that's part of it where it's like, OK, here's how I control this classroom. Here's how I control it on the stage. Like, Is there a similarity there? I wonder, you know, I wonder now, you know, that's a good question. I've been doing teaching in schools and I think it's not the same with children because in my opinion, the child is never at fault for their bad behavior. It's, it's the circumstances that are not beneficial to them to learn. Right. Yeah. So the way you try to fix that is different than when it's an adult. Cause it's like, you're an adult. I don't give a shit why you're here or what you're doing. Right. Like you are interrupting. So I think there's definitely the teacher trick of like stopping talking when they're talking so that they know they're out of order, like that kind of stuff. But I don't think, and you know, I'm no teacher, but I don't think making a child the villain in the room is a good thing. Good point. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I don't think it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to constantly call in with kids, but yeah, adults, you can tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. I love the heckler who, you know, their response is, I'm just trying to help. Oh man, dude. Yes. Uh, they're the worst, but also the best. Like this, this closed down now, but there was this bar outside of helium in Philly, like a, a block away and the bartenders and, and other people who would be in the bar. Cause it was a place where you would hang. We would love it when a couple came in and they were like, we got kicked out for laughing. We weren't even doing nothing. We got let go. And it's like, Oh yeah, you weren't doing nothing. What, what happened? And then they tell you that they kept talking to the fucking comedian. Or they they fucking decided to like throw something. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like your only job is to sit down and laugh. There is no, (laughs) there are few times that you're going to violate that to the point where they ask you to leave the building. Like you have to have a level of insight there that says like, if I'm being asked to leave, they don't want my money anymore. Like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) <laughs> like that is crazy but you know some people some people have never been reprimanded i guess i don't know but it's just like like to leave to be asked to leave sometimes giving their money back like like he, here is the money that you spent on food and liquor just go and then they go to another place and be like i don't understand what happened it's like uh, thankfully i you know you just laugh at it i love the mindset of saying we didn't do anything except throw your shoes <laughs> right he talked to me and so i threw my shoe at him it's like okay well uh i hopefully they took a picture of you and they have it posted near the front i think a yeah. perfect penalty for that is to not give the shoe back I'm like all right Total, oh yeah that would be walk home that would be fun but you know they can't they're in the the staff is in the service business oh that's, so. that's very true yeah um, it is kind of crazy how like even the craziest people when you like talk to like the managers and shit, they're like, yeah, we just gave them free tickets to come back. And it's like, what? Why? It's like, so they would leave quietly. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we just wanted them to exit the building in an orderly fashion. So we gave them all of their money back. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. They're going to be a different staff's problem, hopefully. Yeah, right. It's like, listen, that person is going to be a problem for whoever they run into tonight. I'm just glad that we're finished with them. <laughs> when did you come back or when did you come down to Baltimore? Oh, boy. I'm, uh, like six or seven years ago. Oh, OK. I think. Yeah, I should be like, I'm a Baltimore resident, but I mean, I'm not really. <laughs> so where are you a resident? Is it is it Brooklyn? Is it Philly? 
No, no, no. I, I live in Baltimore. Oh, I, I, I am it. a Baltimore resident. I, mind, I claim my taxes there. Yeah, in my mind, though, I live on I-95. <laughs> in my mind. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, I still get work in Philly, so I'm up there a lot for the work that I do. And yeah, and then I, I'm back here, but, you know, as I'm trying to branch out in comedy, I've been going up to New York more, I've been yeah. taking longer trips. So, yeah, um, you know, it is like Baltimore is kind of just like a home base. Most of the days I'm here, I'm like doing like the housework that comedy requires, right? Like, yeah. yeah, like I'm doing my writing and whatnot, like not actual stand up. I lived in Essex uh-huh. for about a year mm-hmm. and I was like Middle River. I was living there for a month and I got stabbed. And Oh, shit. Yeah. And I had like 11 months left on the lease and I couldn't break it. So I'm like, because I didn't have enough uh, money to break it. And I'm sure. like, all right. So it was that was my introduction. And then I lived in Glen Burnie for like six years. So I knew Baltimore fairly well. And I loved it. I would go to Orioles games a lot. And I love. I haven't done one of those yet. And I need to. Oh, Camden Yard supposed to be gorgeous. I've been in there one time yeah. for AFRAM, the festival that they do every year. It was like before I even lived here. I need to go to an Orioles game. They're great. Uh, I mean, the team sucks, but that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. If you go, if you avoid when the Yankees or the Red Sox are playing, unless you're a Yankees fan or Red Sox fan, then you're, you're, you can sit pretty much wherever you want, buy the cheapest ticket, and then just walk to the lower level. Nobody checks and sure. they don't care. They're just happy. Yeah. That you're that's there. okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like that. Like, I mean, I've been to the, I got to see the um, Phillies play at the vet before it closed. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, the Phillies. Yeah, I got to see him at the vet before it closed. And the the thing about it, I'm not a baseball fan. I'm not even super huge in the sports anymore. But like baseball was definitely one of the sports I never cared about. But uh, <laughs> I got excited, too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just it was never one. But like Philly, the Phillies had dollar hot dog night. And that is what kept me going to Phillies games. <laughs> so I don't know if Baltimore has a version. But like dollar hot dog night, man. I mean, and three dollars is a lot of hot dog. Yeah. But yeah, I would just, I would, yeah, that that kept me going. And then I got to see him at the um, what is this is Bank Park. Yep. So I got to see both. I've only seen the Eagles at their I've seen the stadium. I never saw them and uh at the vet. Yeah, I covered the Navy Army game uh I think okay. three times. So and that was all in Philly at that point. So I saw the stadium there. Uh, and I've been to Citizens Bank, but I've never seen the Eagles. I've never seen an NFL game in Philly. Uh, saw one I saw baseball one. Game. They beat the Steelers in a preseason game. Football is so expensive to like go oh, see. And like, I think it's a better seat in your living room anyway. Definitely. That was the one thing that I would say, like going to watch the game. I think I watched Temple football team play once and they, oof. yeah, like nothing can beat, you know, HD cameras, yeah. uh, commentary uh replays like nothing can beat that like you sit there and it's like oh these are just 22 guys on a field running around i know i play fantasy football so like if i'm at the stadium i'll probably be checking my team the entire time anyway so (laughs) like i'm not even looking at the game that was one thing yeah fantasy football man that video games have gotten me into sports like techno super bowl was the only reason i knew about football 2K was the only reason I know about basketball. Um, I guess uh, I didn't have enough friends to have like MLB the show or else I'd be <laughs> in the fucking baseball. But like uh, and then fantasy football is another thing that got me like instead of just watching the Eagles because I was living in Philly, I'd be watching all of the games. And 
my favorite part of Sunday football watching was falling asleep during the second game. <laughs> like at the end of the first, because you know, you, you get a few beers in you, you watch the TV, and then next thing you know, it's seven o'clock. That's yeah, that's good times. I used to watch when I lived in Maryland, uh, I'd go to Frederick for mm-hmm. just every Sunday, and my buddy would watch all three games, like the one o'clock, four o'clock, and then the eight o'clock game. And the eight o'clock game was where I was like, ah, I can't do it anymore. So I would walk upstairs and his wife was watching Law and Order SVU. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take part in this marathon because I had a football marathon and honestly, sure. I'm tired of it. So let's go. Palate cleanser. You exactly. Let's go. Finish every day with a little iced tea. Why not? Yeah, yeah, it was great. But yeah, I've always been a baseball fan and my grandpa played pro ball. So it was just yeah. kind of ingrained in me. But yeah. Well, that makes I was, sense. Yeah. And when I was in Baltimore, the first Orioles game I ever saw, I didn't pay for parking. I parked like a mile away from the stadium, walked there. I got a $6 ticket because I still had my student ID. And I got nachos and a drink, a beer. And then I took a left out of the line and then nobody saw me. And I'm like, I just kept walking. So I got free nachos. I ended up buying a beer. So the whole (laughs) game cost me like $12. And I was like, I'm never going to beat this, but it's a really good environment. It's a beautiful stadium. So even if you don't like baseball, I think you'd have fun there and it won't cost. Yeah. Yeah. I got to be outside of, um, I don't know when the Red Sox play. Yeah. I got to be outside of there, outside of the stadium, like in the bars that surround it. And that was like another cool time. I get it. Like being in those stadiums is fun. Yeah. But you know, just not a sports dude. Really. I got to see the, Sixers win a playoff game, like like damn they went to overtime too. It was like a buzzer beater, but it was like when um Iguodala was on the. Oh wow, that was a long time ago. Sixers, yeah, it was a while ago, but like yeah, and like Kyle Korver, I think was the yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, it was like those were like the stars. So it was like right after Iverson left, and the tickets were like dirt cheap. But I got I to see to. like a I mean, first... lost Iverson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, playoff basketball is fun. I've never seen an NBA game. I covered a WNBA game like Connecticut and the mystics back mm. in God, 2009, maybe, maybe eight. Uh, but that's, that's close. I've gotten, I've seen one NHL game. It's good, but yeah, I would love to see. I- I've seen one NHL game. What's his name? The the one black guy on the flyers at the time, he got a hat trick. Oh, I don't even know. I'm so, like, I'm so out of tune with hockey that I yeah, don't know. I mean, I have no, no clue. I, I just watched like a, a cousin of mine plays. And the only thing I was just watching, I was like, okay, offsides is a rule. That's all <laughs> I know about the game. It's like the same as soccer, right? How old are you? Uh, 40. Okay. So I'm 39. Mm-hmm. I know hockey's rules mainly because I played NHL 94 on Super Nintendo. Yep. Again. That's it. It's a gateway drug video game. Yep. And they say like, oh, you play video games. They're going to make you violent, shoot people. It's like, no, no, no. They're going to make you pay attention to sports. Right. They're going to turn me into a consumer. they'll learn the rules. I'm a, I'm a consumer yeah. now. I'm buying tickets to the NHL I'm a worse like, person because I watch sports fanatically, not because yeah. I'm desensitized to killing avatars. <laughs> yeah. No, I... I stopped playing video games, really, at least the new ones. I think I stopped at PlayStation 2. So, oh. like, I, I played Grand Theft Auto 3 and Tony sure. Hawk 3, and then I was pretty much done. 
I ended up buying recently. I bought a PlayStation Two, and you know, oh. like like in 2018, I'm like, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a PlayStation Two. And I think the sure. the four was just out. Maybe the five. Yeah, I want I want the games I knew. I completely understand. I stopped playing a lot of video games when I was in grad school, and then uh, my wife likes video games, so that kind of got me into it when I met her, and so. Yeah, ooh, video games. They definitely saved me during a pandemic. I'll tell you that. <laughs> What'd you play most? Yeah. Which game? What did I play most throughout the thing? I played a lot of Star Wars Battlefront. It's like a shooter, but it's based in Star Wars because I had friends that we could um, play remotely. Played a lot of that. I just beat Mass Effect, a very big role playing game. Like last night, I just finished all three games because they re released them. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm a big role-playing game guy, though. I never got into Final Fantasy. Like, I, I just didn't understand it. Yeah, it's a bear of a game to get around. Like, I played the Final Fantasy games that came out for, like, the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And I played the original Final Fantasy on Nintendo, actually. And that's kind of what got me into those kinds of games. But I haven't played a Final Fantasy in quite some time. But, like, Fallout and, yeah, Mass Effect and Skyrim. Those kinds of games, those big one player open world things, super fun. Do you think the writing on those games, like back in the Nintendo games and Super Nintendo for the the Final Fantasy games, do you think they would hold up today? No. Okay. Because they were doing different jobs, I think. Like the technology back then was very limited. Like, you know, it's like 16 bits per fucking cycle or whatever. And now, you have these, you know, powerful machines. So the storytelling has gotten a lot richer and deeper now than back then. But I mean, you know, playing like Final Fantasy two on Super Nintendo, like, my God, it was a lot of reading. So they still <laughs> did that like world building stuff. Yeah. But it was like so much reading. I like that now. And it's like the little fights that you would have would be one thing, but you could spend an hour just reading like random stories in a cave. And I think, yeah, I think that was my mother's trick. She's like, yeah, they're reading at the very least. <laughs> Maybe that's what I didn't like about it. I, I tried to play Final Fantasy once. I didn't even like Zelda back then. And I think that was part oh, of it. Man. I, I didn't understand it. Yeah, I, it's a lot of reading and you have to get into the like the the mythos around it to understand what those things mean. And so, yeah, like a game like, you know, the first Legend of Zelda, you just that little guy with a sword walking around. The game doesn't look that good so it takes a lot to like build a world around it and now you fast forward to like breath of the wild and that game is fantastic but yeah just restarted that and that game is like huge climb mountains and ride horses this whole thing the weird part for me like with video games like once i play a game i don't forget how to beat this level and like i'll go Mm -hmm. back to like super mario 3 and i'm like i Mm -hmm. still know all the tricks of that game and sure you know, I don't know if it's the same thing as like, you know, you don't forget your favorite lyrics to a song. It just goes in that pocket in the brain. It's like, all right, we're we're here for life. I guess. I mean, I, I would say that happens to me, too. But like I have a switch and with the switch, you can play a lot of Nintendo and Super Nintendo games. Oh, OK. And uh, as I try to play it, I'm like, ooh, I am not as good as I once was. But, you know, <laughs> that's probably just I'm old and my brain shutting down because like I didn't. The first time I ever beat Super Mario Brothers, I was in college. Because like when the first Super Mario Brothers came out, I was, you know, I don't know, five or six or something like that. I never beat it. I'd beat Super Mario Brothers 2, I beat Super Mario Brothers 3, just never the original. And then somebody brought it in and that was like 
the it thing when people have had their little PlayStation. Like I brought my Nintendo and everybody want to play that. And so like, yeah, the first time I ever beat that game was like in college. Oh, wow. What'd you go to school to do? I went to Temple. I, I went for electrical engineering. And how long did you do that? I mean, are you a full-time comedian right now? I'm a full-time comedian yeah. right now. Which, yeah. Shorthand for broke. Uh, um, <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to school. I went to grad school for it. I had a job. I was working at the job for nine years before I decided to test my wings and jump wholeheartedly in the comedy. And mm, mm. and then you got a pandemic. And then, well, I mean, I, I had a couple of years without the pandemic and I was doing okay, I guess. But then I put an album out and I put the album out in January of 2020. So I was planning on like touring and like, trying to get into like new cities and clubs. Cause I got an album out and like, uh, you know, it, it got pretty good airplay on like Sirius and uh, you know, all the streaming things, but like, mm, there was nowhere to go uh, yeah. <laughs> when it was, I had a joke go viral, but mm, there was nowhere to go. How frustrating was that for you? Uh, I mean, it was frustrating for everybody. It was frustrating. I, I think that I'm, the healthiest way that I can put that in the reference was it was a weird time and we all did whatever we needed to do to survive. It was like, it's like jail, I guess. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not gay. I'm just in jail. You know, like <laughs> it, I, it was like that. And it was like, you know, I did all kinds of zoom shows and teaching workshops and doing stand up all, all on zoom. And that stuff is a distant memory. As soon as stuff started opening up, I stopped answering emails about that. <laughs> but I did the same thing. And yeah. it blows my mind. I, I understand Zoom. I like it. We're, we're talking through Zoom now. There's obviously benefits to it. Sure. But as soon as the stage is open, I'm like, you know what? It served its purpose. And I worked yeah. out material. And I got a few new things. That's okay. But I want to go back to a live audience. And I don't, I don't think I ever used any of the material that I was working on, like on Zoom show. Really? Like it might be one and I can't think of what it would be, but like, I was like writing jokes. Like, obviously you had to keep your mind at work. So like, yeah, I had like jokes, but yeah, I definitely made a lot of my zoom era jokes about being on zoom and about being trapped in the house. So it didn't work, you know, going back out in the public. So I never, I can't even say that I tried those jokes out. I was just right. like, no, 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 I don't care about that anymore. I'm outside. <laughs> What I did was I, I took a lot of old bits and I'm like, okay, let me rewrite these or let me punch them up and try them that way. Sure. So I was, sure. like, I was like, I just needed to do, I needed to keep writing and working. Otherwise I'd go back and play Super Nintendo and kind of quote unquote waste the day away. But like, yeah, I needed to be productive as possible. Otherwise I was going to forget why I was doing comedy anyway. That's also, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, Everybody had to do stuff to keep themselves busy, keep their minds occupied. And there was a there was an open mic that people were doing over Zoom on Sundays. They turned into a live stream like show on Facebook and, and whatnot. And like I did that for I don't know, it was probably like we were up to like 20 something weekends. Wow. Yeah, like we were doing that for a while. And like that, I keep telling the cat mostly is the comic who was like running that. And I keep telling her, like, I think that saved my life. Like it gave me a thing to look forward to. It was like a thing that kept me kind of like a comedian yeah, <laughs> and not just like a random podcaster or some shit. Yeah. Well, there was a time where I used those zoom mics as like a calendar. 
where I'm like, yeah, I, right? I knew when Thursday was because this mic happens on Thursday. Otherwise, yep. all the days blended together. Yep. Yep. I, I cannot agree more. And then it's funny because now it's like, yeah, today's Tuesday. So I know there's a mic that I'm going to go to later. <laughs> yeah, I do monthly shows. And like, that's how I know, like, oh, I've got I've got four Thursday shows this month. OK, so now my week might begin on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, it's right. just, but that's how I keep straight. And and then that in turn helps me memorize the calendar. Now I know when the Fridays are for the next month because I've already got that in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, yep. they're the the third, 10th, 17th and 20 or whatever. It's 24th. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like the autism in my brain has like, gone, woo, hello. Like yeah. we, We've been waiting for something like this. But, yeah, I. Like I said, like I, I don't think they saved my life, those Zoom mics. But man, I, I met some people on there who I like and it gave me a reason to, I don't know, get out of bed. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like instead of just sitting at home waiting for this thing to be over, it was like actual things to do. And I mean, I think it got me some other gigs. Like I, I did like private shows for companies on Zoom. And like those are just. I mean, you know, I'll do, I do them again. If they offered me the same amount of money, they were, it was decent, but it definitely was like, it, it, it feels better to go somewhere to do it. Yeah. Like at that point, you don't mind the 90 minute commute. Not at all. In comparison. Yeah. I'd take that 90. (laughs) What, you know what, when I was doing some stuff, when I had to do like early morning things, uh, it was very nice to roll out of bed, splash some water on my face, put on a shirt. And be able to do comedy or, 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 you know, make money. So that was nice. And that does beat a commute. But, oh, yeah. Uh, so when you're a kid, I mean, what did you watch? Who did you listen to? I mean, what triggered that that stand up party? Like, OK, I like comedy in general. I was uh, I was fooded class clown when I was in high school. Were you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was always like I liked making jokes and I like making people laugh and do impersonations of my relatives and stuff to my family yeah i I did all of that but as far as like comedic influences my brother had a best of bill cosby tape that i would listen to a lot r.i.p um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's like a best of bill cosby tape he had a best of monty python tape too that i would listen to and then um you know it was the 80s so uh, you know you watch delirious you watch raw Yeah, I mean, I did watch a lot of comedy because that whole 80s comedy boom was definitely a thing. Like I saw a lot of like Steve White and Paula Poundstone and, you know, those sorts of comedy shows. Definitely spent a lot of Saturday nights watching that stuff. Don't remember those jokes. And then, you know, Def Jam happened. That was a big thing. When did Def Jam come out? Was that early 90s? Yeah, it was like early 90s, like very late 80s. Okay. One or the other. Yeah. And then that ran for... I don't know how many years, but I think my first introduction to Def Jam was through the Simpsons where they just had, Wow! I mean, it was just a, a spoof on it and mm-hmm. like, like a throwaway joke, but I was like, Oh, okay. And cause at that time I'm like eight or nine years old and mm-hmm. I watched in living color was huge for me. And sure. it was, yeah, me too. that Sunday night lineup was Simpsons in living color, George Carlin show. And there's married with children. Show. Yeah, Major John. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, that whole lineup, I was like, oh, wow. Like for two hours, they had me hooked. Oh, yeah. That was must see TV. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That was definitely most assuredly. It is funny because like Parker Lewis can't lose was in yeah. 
one of those slots. Yep. Like that that George Carlin show slot that like right after the nine thirty, I think. No, 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 because Married with Children was nine thirty. Because that was like the you know, the most risque of the, the shows. Okay, so, okay. So yeah, you're talking Married with Children. Then. Yeah, I think it's the eight thirty because okay. I feel like in Living Color was it nine? Well, Simpsons was eight for sure. Yeah, Simpsons was eight. It was it was always eight o'clock on Sunday. And then I'm like, was was it in Living Color eight thirty? Or I kind of think it was. Maybe, maybe they moved it, but like they would always have four shows and there'd be that one show that just never fucking was able yeah. to get it. Carlin show. Get um, a life, maybe? Was it Chris, Chris Elliott. Yep. I was like, yeah, yeah. get a life. It was one uh, Herman's head. Yes. Was, that was before <laughs> The Simpsons. That was before The Simpsons. So like, yeah, those were like coming up at the same time. Tracy Ullman, but she yeah. had the HBO stuff, but then she had like a Fox version, I think. Well, the Simpsons started on Tracy Ullman's show. Right, right, right. right. Did she have a Fox version? Yeah, I don't remember. When Ben Stiller was like, he had like a random show. show. He had a sketch show. Yeah, he had like a random one. Like, yeah, it was just funny. None of those things ever hit. I mean, obviously, Ben Stiller's doing fine. He's not lamenting. No, no. I go back and I watch clips of In Living Color, and I am just always blown away by how talented that cast was. Mm -hmm. Because like, I don't, I don't think of Jamie Foxx as a comedian so much. And I know he's not he is. anymore. But After like, you got that Academy Award. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd forget. Dude's got an Oscar. And, yeah. and they had him on in Living Color. And I'm like, it dude, but it's like remarkable. I can't I can't remember which one it was, but he had an HBO special that I watched over and over again. It was so good. I don't remember any of the bits, but I think he had one about like he stank to Africans because he wore deodorant but, but anyway uh i watched that a lot yeah i mean like jamie fox had a special on there damon wayans obviously yeah eddie griffin you know yeah i mean i watched bring the pain when it was like fresh to hbo yep same here um, yeah yeah so yeah thankfully my mom had hbo so. <laughs> i always like I, I think my parents were like working a lot and not mm-hmm. caring what we watched like they were it's, never it's part of the 80s experience baby i, I loved it and like they were never like, okay, Mike, uh, please don't watch that when it has curse words in it. Like that. Yeah, like, eh, remember? Because it was like, wasn't it Clinton that put the the whole V chip thing? Yeah. Yep, I think so. That would that would like you know allow for parental controls of television, which was adorable because it was like <laughs> there was no way in hell that a parent in the eighties was going to be like, let me figure out how to. Please, it, yeah, whatever. No, we we would I guess somewhere. Yeah, we would have had to right. teach them how to do it. Right. I would have to have taught my mom how to do it and remember the pin. I would have to remember the pin for her because she'd probably said it. And then she'd be like, she want to watch like fucking Cop Rock or NYPD Blue and it wouldn't work. She'd be like, why doesn't it work? It's like because of the chip. Daryl, come here and turn it off. It would have yep. been. Yeah, it was no way. Too big of a hassle. No way. That's how I got my mom to get broadband Internet instead of AOL. I was like, listen, if you, we get AOL, it's going to tie up the phone line all night. And she's like, you know what? I'll pay the extra money so I don't have the hassle. <laughs> and I think I think she didn't want to talk to us a little bit longer. And she's sure. Like, she's like, listen, if I have to yell at you to get off the phone, it's not worth it. Totally. Totally. Man. So your album, Black Gentrifier, it debuted at number three mm-hmm. on iTunes. What's yeah. that feeling like? Um, I mean... It didn't feel bad. Uh, it was a good feeling. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, it was a good feeling. Like, you know, you sit there and you, that's one of those things. I had no control over that, right? Like, the dude who runs the 
helium comedy label sent me the picture like hey you're number three you know and i was like oh well that's nice i was just sitting there trying to get as many people as i could to buy it so i could make yeah. some money but i'm glad that it charted at least i didn't check what the second weeks looked like but <laughs> you know because it was you know just a whole release schedule thing but right when you're finally done with that process like how long did that take between recording the material and getting everything ready doing all the promotion and then having it come out it had to be like what five six months no uh it was like three. Oh, okay I, I taped it in october of 2019 and then just putting it out in january 2020 i mean yeah it was just i i think it was a shorter schedule especially because it was one show yeah so it's not like i did multiple shows and i could like do different takes or like check the video to be like all right let's do this for coverage or whatever it was one shot and so it was the second time I'd ever done an hour, but <laughs> so the editing wasn't too tough. It was just the biggest issue with editing was making sure that like no curse words were on certain jokes so that they could get on the family friendly comedy channels. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's like the big, there are more family friendly comedy channels than not. So if you're going to put an album out and you want to get any kind of streaming dollars, it makes sense to watch your mouth. And that's where more of the money comes now, right? Mm-hmm. As far as like album sales and such. Yeah. That's something I, I never thought about. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you're a clean comedian. You get more corporate gigs, you know? Yeah. Theoretically. Theoretically. But yeah. But yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, streaming. I forgot about that revenue service. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just like with most things. It's like 1% of comedians that are making like serious money right. off of like streaming. Right. But like, but it is, these are money. Your stuff played on serious. Yeah. But obviously being clean, I, the funniest thing about being clean is not cur- like when people say, Oh, you got to do a clean set. Obviously I'm a comedian. I can do it. Right. I yeah. can do a clean set, but especially now. And even back then when someone says clean, they also mean, politically neutral or uh, most likely conservative uh if you can help it just stay away from religion stay away from politics you know no overtly sexual material even if you're not cursing like those sorts of things are the thing that limit me more and i have to think about before i can even perform for the person that wants to give me the money for the thing right like like oh yeah we want a clean set and so i have to go back and be like so when you say clean you mean nothing political, nothing religious, you know, like all of these things. It's not just don't curse. And so like, yes, especially because a lot of my jokes, you know, there's a lot of subtext and I'm talking about one thing when really I'm referring to another. And so it could be a joke where I'm talking about, you know, growing a garden, but really it's a takedown of the Catholicism, some shit like that. Right. (laughs) And it's like, someone says it's supposed to be clean. Like there's no jokes in there. But if you're the kind of person who would be very upset with someone telling you that, you know, maybe you should give God a second chance, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you violate the rules and you, you want to make sure that you get paid for what right. you do. So, yeah. <laughs> Even though by the time I perform, like the money's already good. Like, it's not like, <laughs> you know, there's that thing. But, but you know, you, you definitely don't want to, like, leave people with a bad taste in your mouth. Right. Because you want to work again. Yeah. Which thing barely happens, but whatever. <laughs> So you put that album to bed and I mean, is it a daunting task you to figure, figure out, all right, well, time to build a new hour. You know, it's funny. I had a real dilemma up that once. 
stuff started opening back up and I started going out like do I do stuff on the album or do I do all this new stuff that yeah. I've been working on since and some of those jokes I was working on before I taped the album but I think probably like four months before I had to tape the album I stopped doing anything that wasn't on gonna be on it so like I just I only did those jokes at shows at mics just you know to get them get that muscle memory back for all of it so you know there was some material but like yeah i still find myself like feeling like i'm cheating if i do something off the album which is a very silly it's a very silly thing to think yeah because like not everybody unfortunately not everybody's heard your album right right and then there is a nice thing where it's like i'll do a set and like oh it's so good and then i say thank you and be like here you can buy my album I always say like also nothing i said today was on the album so this is a brand new hour to you of me you know but again like it's a stupid rule that i've said for myself and for some reason i've abided i don't do actually i have a gig on thursday i'll probably do album stuff because they want (laughs) they want it clean and this is like a a hoity-toity group of people so right to give myself coverage i'll probably do some of my older jokes well, I think that's the whole thing with like musicians and comedians. Like comedians can write an hour worth of material and it's it's gone in two years. You can't do it again unless you're unless you're like Jim Gaffigan and they right. want hot pockets again. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen a, a number of comics be headliners and they'll show up and the crowd wants them to do their most popular joke and then they usually save it for the end or They'll do their work, be like, all right, cool. What jokes do y'all want me to do now? And then the audience will scream it out. I find that to be amazing. Yeah. Um, Brian Regan does that. Yeah. 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 I've, uh, uh, I never, I've seen him on the internet and I've met him in person. I don't think I've ever seen him do stand up because he definitely is too big for the clubs. Um, <laughs> but uh, by the time I started doing it, but yeah, a bunch of people, I fucking, yeah, Burt Kreischer yep. does the machine story every time. But, but the people, want it. it they would they would revolt if he didn't do it right so he he has brand new jokes he takes his crap very seriously but at the end right back to being on the train with those russians <laughs> hey at least it's a good story it is i mean obviously but it is just kind of funny it's like you know and it's a good note for me to take like yeah don't be so precious about this stuff like if people like it it's nice give them what they like part of the job is just doing the job you don't always have to be some kind of avant-garde artist it's nice when you can do that but you know also if someone's paying you to do a a job do the job so that they feel like they spent their money wisely right yeah do you remember the worst set you've ever had or the worst show (laughs) oh yeah this was bad uh the first time anybody ever asked me to do a show like I'd been doing mics for like three months or something. And it was, I did a mic at the laugh house and it went all right. And then a dude was like, Hey, I have a show come through, you know, I'd like for you to be on my show. And I was like excited. And my, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, but uh, she came, she brought her friend. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a guest spot do five minutes up at the top and I go on stage and I'm doing my jokes and it's not really working, but like a minute in, cause it's especially a joke I did back then was the kind of joke where it's like, I say something that's horrible and then I use logic to make my way out of it. Like dig yourself a hole and then climb out, whatever. 
So they really weren't feeling it that much. But then a security guard came up to the stage and motioned for me to give him the mic. And I was like, what? And so I gave him the mic and then he was like, hey, there's a red Dodge Neon parked outside. You got to move that car. You're blocking the street. And they gave me the mic back. (laughs) And then I tried to continue the joke. And then he came back another minute later and he was like, "Uh, let me see that mic again. (laughs) And he was like, seriously, folks, I asked everybody else in the building. It's got to be one of y'all. Whoever has the red Dodge Neon, please come and get the car. Then he gave me the mic back and I did another minute. And then he came back and he was like, there is a bus outside. There's a city bus that cannot pass this red Dodge Neon. Please move your car. And then uh, he gave me the mic back and then they gave me the light. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know. (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh at your pain. No, I mean, you know, first time doing a show. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, talk about don't get too precious. Like, stop inviting people to your stuff. I was going to say, like, I, <laughs> that I was my, my lesson. My favorite part of that is like, yeah, your girlfriend brought a friend to watch. Like, I'm really proud of Daryl. You're going to love him. We got the security mm. guard three times. Yep. Yep. Just, just bad all around. Um, but, you know, <laughs> hey. It is what it is. <laughs> I always love hearing like like those early stories. That's part of the reason I asked the question is like generally they happen in our first few years. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just I look back on every rough set I had. I'm like, yeah, but it's a good story. So I didn't want to live through it, but I'm kind of glad I have that story. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I guess that's a nice way to to look at it. I kind of just put it on my head when it doesn't go well. Like, who cares? You get to that point where you're just calloused over and it's just like it's this is just another show no matter yeah. what show it is i'm just kind of i guess a nice place to be <laughs> no i think that's a, the best place to be where you're not like yeah i mean not dwelling on it. you know appreciate the moment but also understand like the transitive property of it like you know in 10 minutes you're going to be done so yep just go out there and give it your all anyway is yeah that's a nice sentiment it's nice so fool- it's so foolish to be so mad for a long time like like hold a grudge against a booker or uh, yeah, just an environment. It's like, yeah, it just wasn't for you that night because you're going to get, unless you like literally light a fire and watch a clip mm-hmm. burn, you're not going to get fired from being a comedian. You're going to have another yeah. set. Yeah. I, I tell people in, in my class all the time, it's like people get nervous about going on stage and being the first, first time, first two times, first 10 times or whatever. And it's like, I don't know if this helps him or not, but no one is paying that much attention to you. Yep. Like, like no one that you're going to see, like only the audience cares about your comedy when you are doing it the first time, the comics in the room, all those people, they don't give a shit. They're worried about their own stuff. They're in their head. They're going over their things. They're not really paying that much attention. If you go up there and nobody laughs, no one's going to remember that the next time you come, if you go up there and you make an absolute buffoon of yourself, that kind of being memorable is what you want to avoid, right? Like, yeah, I was at, I was at Helium early on and the dude was on stage and somebody like kicked the showroom door open and was like, big babies in the house and like uh-huh. did all this posturing like through the curtain back, screaming in the middle of the show. And so the manager ran up to him and was like, yo, you have to leave and never come back. And the dude was like, I'm just a comic trying to get on. He's like, yeah, that's that's all good. But you can't walk into a business like that. Don't ever come back here again. And it's like, yeah, 
that is the memorable that will stick out to a person, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not you went up there and your little dick jokes didn't work. Like <laughs> nobody cares about that. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that. I couldn't either. But, you know, like I said, the door is open. Anybody can walk in. The, <laughs> the gumption it takes to do that. It's wild. Have you noticed that, like, you become a better comedian after teaching that course? Um, I think it is. Uh, I think I, I, I've gotten. Yeah, I think so. Because I'm teaching the basics. And so going over the basics is kind of nice, uh, especially as I try to, you know, make it a tailored experience to the class. <laughs> uh, you know, like, like, yeah, kind of going over the basics of like, what is good space work? And, you know, what can I do to better tell a story in this part of the joke? It's kind of cool. And just, yeah, that kind of being analytical about what I do is kind of nice. Yeah, I'd say that. What do you think the best piece of advice you can give any comedian is? Um, Get on as many stages as possible. Yeah, that's probably the best advice because it it is that sort of, like I said, you you, you have to be calloused over. Like you can't hold something precious when you, when you can feel at home on stage, when you are really comfortable up there and you're probably only going to get there by being on stage a lot. Like that is when you can actually start to like work a set and like figure out how you tell jokes the best. But like when you go up on a stage and you're worried about your performance, like, yeah. And it's when those things you don't want to have happen, happen. That's where you get a lot of ums and, and you can't stand still and you, yeah, you hug the wall, like that kind of stuff. But like go on stage as much as possible just to get over the the big thing of being on stage. Yeah. I know when yeah. I started, the constant criticism I got, uh, maybe not constant, but the the one that stands out was like I kept pacing. Mm-hmm. Not in a good way, like a Chris Rock, but it was just like right. back and forth. And you know, so my buddies were like, Yeah, man, it's distracting. And yeah. you know, we're not listening, we're just watching your feet move. Yeah. Yep. And I learning I think, how to stand there and deliver. Yeah. And it's an easy one, but you can always tell somebody's like on their first or second mic when the, the stand is in front of their face. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. Yeah. Just mic mic basics should be a part of any comedy class. Like move it out the way, get it done, figure out the chord, yeah, yeah. and then tell your jokes. Yep. It's okay if you take a second to figure out the chord. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. It's like it's better that you get it all out the way before you start talking than to be fucking back and forth and like yeah i mean you know it's sad now when you see it but you got to get a kick out of people who like when the show gets bad they like try to hide behind the mic stand yeah the most adorable thing it's just like (laughs) yeah that's just that's fear brain kicking right in but it's it's just it's adorable to see look at them they're shrinking they're 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 actually getting shorter as each of these jokes bomb look at them they that's when I laugh. <laughs> How do you approach? Okay, so you're on a show and the audience, you can just tell they're not into the last two or three comedians. Mm-hmm. Do you get excited to take the stage or are you like, oh, well, I'll just give it my best shot? I think I'm always like, I'm always nervous. I'm always excited. And I think that I have to be that way because the times that I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to go up there. I bombed. Like, because this, there were no stakes in it for me. But like, I think that I'm the kind of comedian where it doesn't matter who was up before me. I can get them to the level that I want them at. So I never care about that. I haven't headlined that much to be like, uh, I know a lot of headliners hate when like the openers do a lot of crowd talk 
And so you find out that these people are on a date and, and this person is the doctor and blah, 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 because then the headliner who's not paying attention to that part of the show because they're not on yet yeah. is kind of out of the loop. And so that's kind of a thing that I learned early on not to do at like club shows. But yeah, watching some people bomb before me, it doesn't, I know what I'm going up there to do. And so, yeah, I don't think that phases me too much. Yeah, it doesn't phase me too much. I think you need so much confidence to to follow a wretched response. And you're like, all right, well, fuck it. Who cares? Well, let's see what I do. Another thing that I tell a lot of people, bombing is not the worst. Telling your jokes and having a whole audience be quiet and listening to your jokes is not the worst. What is worse is when people are watching you do comedy and they decide that having a conversation is more entertaining. Yeah. When you get inane conversations, when chatter starts to happen while you're telling jokes, that is the death knell of comedy, right? The fact that they're all quiet and listening, you have a chance. <laughs> but when they start turning to their neighbor and going, so how you been? You don't have a chance because they're not paying attention. So three people can go up and bomb. But the audience is fine because they're quiet and they are paying attention. You just didn't tell any jokes that they like. <laughs> and, you know, maybe that means you told the wrong jokes. Maybe it means you're not the right comedian. Right. But like a listening audience is all you need. Then you go up there and you do what you got to do. Right. So when it gets so bad that a name conversations are happening and you notice like the host isn't addressing it and shit like that, then, yeah, that's probably when I get like discouraged and then. I don't know. I try to figure out something to get them very quickly. Uh, thankfully, I've been doing it long enough that that thing isn't like rape humor or some shit like that. <laughs> that was definitely, you know, when you're when you're in the bars and you're fighting oh, yeah. audiences, yeah. you say the most outlandish thing first to just, get them just, to be like, oh, yeah, like let's pay attention. Yeah. What's yeah. the biggest difference you've seen from the audiences in Philly and Baltimore? Hmm. Or is there one? I, man, again, yeah, I'm dead inside. Um, <laughs> all audiences are audiences. Yeah, man, all audiences are audiences. I, I, I'll say I did some shows in the Midwest, and I think those audiences were different than like East Coast audiences. And that's that's where I'll say there might be a difference. Like East Coast audiences, from my experience, are you know, I guess I've been on the West Coast too. Like the coastal elites are, you know, they're they're very with it. And they want you to get to the joke quickly. But the Midwest, it's not that they're slower, but they're definitely a, a more polite crowd. So like being mean is not going to win any points with them. And I found that they were definitely a, a little more judgmental of my material at the very least. To the point where like you can bring up and, and slaughter a number of sacred cows in front of East Coast audiences. You can't do that with the Midwest. That is not nice. And we're done with you. Like that, that kind of thing will happen. So you have this album. Uh, what are your plans? Like, what's your next goal? I mean, do you have, <laughs> do you have a, do you have a deadline in mind for anything? Um, no. Uh, I mean, I got irons in some fires. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get on some festivals. I'm trying to sell my album. Like I, I got CDs on me, so I'm still out here pushing, pushing that work on them. And yeah, more stages, more places. Yeah, I got I got some irons and some fires. Like it's nice to get booked to do comedy. That's not like stand up, but like you know, comedic writing gigs and yeah. stuff like that. So uh, I got a couple of those. So that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Sky's the limit. I'm 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 working a new hour now. 
I did, uh, you know, I think it was like 50 something minutes last time I checked last time I, I did it like of all new stuff. So, you know, we out here we're working. How was the church of satire? You're just there, right? Yeah, man. I was just there. That's a great place. Church of satire is awesome. Like middle of Pennsylvania, obviously. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> but it's a nice little building. And, you know, they, they got it's all set up with pews and stuff inside. Yeah. Like, it's just it's really neat looking and a fun place to do comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Jim. Yeah. Church of Satire is awesome. And in fact, uh, I'm going to be there October 14th and 15th, I think, is when I'm coming back. So are you headlining or featuring? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to headline. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, just again, just trying to get more gigs, more headlining gigs. That'd be nice. Be out here and flex this new hour and see where i can take it this is awesome i really appreciate you taking time uh yeah man do you have any social media to plug i mean do you want to uh sure album uh, again yeah right uh, the album's black gentrifier my website is uh daryl comedy.com d-a-r-r-y-l comedy uh, if you don't know how to spell comedy <laughs> it's fine you, you don't have to be a, a fan of mine um <laughs> <laughs> that is the bar for entry can you spell comedy so yeah, go on there. My my dates are on there. There's a page dedicated to my album. So if there's a way you can get it online, you can get it. Yeah. And just be on the lookout for me. I have a, D, a podcast, DTF, the Daryl and Timory Fun Hour podcast. That's where me and my co-host, who has a doctorate in human sexuality, talk about sex in the news and like uh, sex and gender and whatnot in the news. So you can actually learn something while I try to be funny uh, talking about <laughs> Tennessee, trying to make abortions illegal you know fun stuff like that right right <laughs> crowd favorites yeah yeah you know it's always fun yeah to be uh, reminded of the news but yeah that, that's what i got going on that's awesome so this new hour do you have a deadline for that like do you have a goal like okay well i wanted to go 2023 i want to have that all ready to go to record i don't know my first hour right was like 10 years of comedy yeah essentially right so to have another hour this quick i'm like Obviously, I've become a better writer than I was then and, you know, stuff like that. But like, I'm not in a terrible rush to seal it in wax. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, like I'm still working it and I'm having fun with the material and stuff. So there's that. I mean, you know, if somebody offered me money to tape it tomorrow, it would get taped tomorrow. But (laughs) uh, but, you know, so I'm kind of I guess I'm waiting on that. But there's so much stuff and like self-production and and whatnot that i'm looking into so i don't know what i'm going to do with it but hey if you like black gentrifier and you have a way to pay me for another hour of comedy i'll show up at your door (laughs) we could do that so it works but again man thank you so much and i'll talk to you soon thanks man Sunburnt skin, I'll wait outside your bedroom.